Last week, uh, the first week that we were spending in four weeks thinking about the Christmas, the history of Christmas, the story of Christmas in the Bible, which is a true historical story, of course. So four weeks of Advent, so last week we looked at what? Anybody remember? Shepherds and angels, right. So this week we are going to think about and uh, talk about this passage here in Matthew in uh, reference to the Magi or the wise men. You'll notice as we read through the Scripture, in no place did it indicate there was only three. It might ruin a couple of Christmas carols you enjoy. We'll just assume there was at least three, okay? You know, I don't know, Christmas time, there's a lot of parties we go to. Maybe you're invited to work parties or uh, church parties or family parties. Um, So I want to talk about this for a minute as a way of getting into the story here. Um, have you ever gone to a, a party, a, a, a time where maybe you only know one or two people and you get there and you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I just feel weird. You talk to somebody and then you realize after talking to her for 10 minutes, you've been saying the wrong name. It's like, oh, well, whatever, I'll never see him again, right? Or you ever get to groups, uh, places where you have to, it's a celebration even, but, but it's awkward and it's weird. You don't know what you're supposed to do. Yeah. How much food am I allowed to eat before I look like I'm eating too much? And if I don't, don't eat enough, I mean, the, guest, the host is going to think I don't like her food. And it's awkward. It can be a little bit weird. Maybe it's just me, and now I'm going to feel awkward standing up here in a room full of people. So the question is, what are those times? Think back to a time in your, we're not going to have time to go around and have everybody share, but has there ever been a time where you just felt totally out of place? Man, what am I doing here? And I am out of place here. I don't, know, I don't know how I ended up here, but this is not where I fit. What am I doing here? Well, if that's you, if you've ever had or have on a regular basis, like some of us, this feeling, I don't know if I fit. I don't know where my, where my place is. I feel out of place, either in my culture or in my family or uh, at my work or the people I hang around. I just don't know where I fit. Well, this story of the Magi is really for those of us who have that feeling from time to time. It's like, where do we fit? Because this, this uh, historical event is all about all kinds of people who don't fit in. And it's a, a bigger story than just not fitting in. But everybody in the story, what, as we read through it, will say, what in the world are they doing here? This story is for those of us that I feel out of place. And I'll give you the title of the, the message if you like having titles. It's called Out of Place. And here it is. Here's the three points. An out-of-place king... Honored by out-of-place nobles on mission for out-of-place people. That's where we're going. Out-of-place. We have an out-of-place king being honored by out-of-place nobles who was on mission for out-of-place people. An out-of-place king. Think about Jesus. It says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, King David's hometown. He was, he was born in the line of David, in the city of David. He was born king. And the... And the the wise men, the magi, show up at Herod's doorstep. Herod was a little bit eccentric. Um, he was nuts, especially at this point, which is very late in his life. He had grown increasingly paranoid. He killed at least two of his sons because of his paranoia. And these three magi show up at Herod's doorstep and say, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? What is his qualification to be king? He was born. 
He was born king of the Jews. He didn't earn his, his throne through pedigree. He didn't earn his throne through political intrigue like Herod had done. He didn't earn his power in Israel like the religious leaders had done through religious manipulation. Here is one who is a baby, a toddler maybe, who is just king. He is king of the Jews. He is, he is not one who has earned his power and his title through intrigue, political power, or religious manipulation. He is king of the Jews in the middle of Rome, in the middle of Israel, where there are all kinds of power structures that had to be followed. You didn't just say you were king of the Jews. That's a religious claim for Israel. You didn't just say you were king of the Jews. That was a political claim in Rome. And here's Jesus. He's not religious. He's not powerful. He's not political. He's just simply king of the Jews, according to the Magi. He was, he was just simply, by, by, by nature of his birth and his pedigree and his promise through the prophets, he's just king. How do we know he was out of place? What was the reaction of Herod and all of Jerusalem? They were disturbed. They were disturbed. You've been at that party. You know what that's like. Everybody's having a good time. And then that guy walks in. What's he doing here? I wouldn't have come if he was going to be here. Look how quiet you got. You act like you've never done that. I love that. I know, because I'm that guy. It's me, right? Gig is up. I knew it. Jesus is born. Everybody, what's he doing here? There can't be a king of the Jews. Herod, there's no king of the Jews. That would be me. I'm king of the Jews. And, and, the, and the priests and the prophets and, and, the, and, the, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, there's no king of the Jews, not without our approval. So king of the Jews without the Pharisees and the Sadducees getting a vote. This was not a king as we might have expected. Psalm 78, beginning in verse 70, we read this from the psalmist regarding David but anticipating Christ. Psalm 78, verses 70, 71, and 72. This is what it says regarding David, the king, anticipating Christ who would be a king in his, in his throne. He, that is God, chose David, his servant, and took him from where? The prestigious Ivy League college, right? No. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens, from tending the sheep, he brought him to be what? The shepherd of his people, Jacob. He brought him out of the sheep pen to be the shepherd for his people, Jacob, of, of Israel, his inheritance. And listen, what did David do? And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. He led them. David was called to be king out of the shepherd fold so that he could lead with skilled hands the people of God to God. And Christ is this kind of king, born with the, with the barnyard animals, one who has been called out of humility, who will shepherd his people with a skilled hand and lead his people to God. In fact, even greater, in an even greater way than David ever could have. This is the kind of king, and this is not the kind of king that, that Rome was ready con to contend with. This certainly wasn't the kind of king that Israel desired. And it certainly wasn't the kind of king that the religious leaders would have approved of. 
In fact, as they discover this, this king born in humiliation, really, in Bethlehem, the response is a, a disturbance. It's, it's, this is, could be an annoyance, or worse yet, it could lead to an uprising. The Roman leaders and the religious leaders of Israel did not expect this kind of king. This was unexpected. They didn't like the unexpected. Anybody like the unexpected? Well, maybe if it's a car in the driveway Christmas morning with one of those big giant bows. The car's easy to find. I have no idea where you get those bows. I'm oh, sure we like that kind of, that's unexpected, but we don't, it, it's, it is unexpected when uh, uh, one of your family members says, no, I can't make it, I'm working that day, and then they show up Christmas Day with them and their seven kids, and okay, we've got to make place settings, of course, we're glad you're here, we'd love to have you, but there's, okay, I won't be eating, we need to go down to KFC and grab some chicken. We don't, we don't like the unexpected because the unexpected uh, takes things out of our control. The unexpected is things we can't manage and, and handle. We don't like the unexpected any more than Herod liked the unexpected. And Herod was a crazy person. He disliked the unexpected to such a degree that if he didn't like it, he'd kill you over it. And the religious leaders wanted control and to maintain control. Jesus wasn't ex- expected. Jesus came to the throne of David like David as a humble shepherd. And Jesus is going to bring his people victory, and Jesus is going to provide his people everything they've ever needed, and Jesus is going to lead them. I mean, that's a great king, isn't it? But he's going to do it all in unexpected ways. He's going to give them victory over sin and death, not over Rome. He's going to provide everything they need up to and including resurrection, which means eternal life forever not wealth and food and clothing. And he's going to lead them, not to new horizons of victory and grandeur, but rather he's going to lead them as an eternal holy priest in the presence of God, lead them straight into God's presence himself. Jesus is the king they truly needed. Jesus was the king they did not expect. And at the end of the day, he was the king they didn't want. He was an out-of-place king who didn't fit into the Roman and Jewish power structures. And they were disturbed. The disturbance would get to such a point at the end of his life, they'd hang him on a cross for their being disturbed. Right now, it seems a little bit minor. It's going to get crazy here in a bit. What's strange is, Jesus is born to provide victory for Israel, to provide everything the people of Israel need, to lead people into the presence of God, and none of them come to that house and honor him. Isn't it strange that nobody has showed up other than the shepherds at this point? Who comes and honors him? These magi. The, the magi the, are, are coming to honor Christ, so this out-of-place king is now being honored by out-of-place nobles. These magi, who knows where, they're from the east. I guess that's Manhattan. I don't. They could be Babylonian, which would mean they come from present-day Iraq. They may be Persian, which would mean they have journeyed from present-day Iran. And these uh, Persian or Babylonian nobles, uh, intellectuals, are coming to honor Christ. And, and they're from the east. And what's their profession? At best, astronomers, 
more than likely, what are they? Astrologers. The Old Testament has a lot to say about astrology, and almost all of it, all of it, okay, it all, it's bad. So here are these astrologers from Iran. Okay, it wasn't called Iran back then, but it, you get the vibe, right? They would have had the same vibe back then. What are these Babylonians doing here? What are these, Iran, what are these Persians doing here? They said, well, we were looking at our horoscope. They said, the king's going to be born. Where's he at? I mean, doesn't that rattle your cage a little bit? What are you talking about, your horse? That's weird. Horoscopes are bad. Well, we don't have time for it today. I'll just leave it at that, okay? Horoscopes are bad. So they've been looking into the stars trying to interpret history and what is made known to them, likely through some at least limited knowledge of the Old Testament, is they said, he's born. We know he's born. He's got to be there somewhere. I mean, look, here's what the book says. There's what the stars are doing. He's born. He's there somewhere. In Numbers, chapter 24, the great prophet Balaam, whose most intelligent conversation involved a donkey that saved his life because he was such a... What's a who's it? This is what Balaam says in Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir will be conquered. Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. A star will come out of Jacob. So here you have these astrologers taking the advice of Balaam. This is a recipe for spiritual disaster. So what's the difference? How are these guys ending up in the right place? And the fact is, they at least had hearts who yearned to see the purposes of God accomplished, and God was more than happy to, to provide for them. So, okay, you guys, you want to find the, you want to find the Messiah, and you're looking all the right, wrong places? Well, I'll lead you to him. And God leads them right to the Messiah through, through a star that had been foretold from Balaam. It says this in Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 1. You don't have to turn there. You're welcome to if you'd like. It says this. I'm going to read six verses from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Listen, nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the arm. Then you will look and be radiant and your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth of the seas will be brought to you to you, the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will come over your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah and from Sheba, they will come bearing gold and incense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. This was a passage that many at the time took to mean the coming of the Messiah would come with foreigners and foreign kings coming to bestow honor upon him, and that's precisely what's happening. And Herod calls these magi to him and says, listen, when did the star show up again? 
Because I, I really want to worship this guy. You would not believe how bad I want to worship this guy. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Herod. He's crazy. Have I mentioned that? Later on in Matthew chapter 2, and we're not going to get to it, Herod is going to plot to kill all of the babies, two years and younger, who are male in the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem wasn't a huge town. But one's terrible, right? A dozen, 24, maybe 50 little boys are going to lose their life, and he's already plotting it because he's disturbed. No king is going to show up here. No king is going to show up in Herod's land. And Herod wants to make a, a search for the Messiah so he might find him and destroy him. <laughs> can, you, can you believe Herod? Who does this guy think he is? He's dealing with the king of the universe. You don't just show up and kill the Messiah. When does the Messiah die? When he feels like it. I mean, we read this story. It's like, boy, he barely escaped. You're right. Herod barely escaped. Show up the doorstep of Jesus, the Messiah, creator and sustainer of the universe. Say, well, let's kill this kid. Really? I can't think of a dumber thing for somebody to do. I don't know if you're allowed to say dumb in church, but I did. He, he creates this intrigue. He wants to destroy it. He has no chance because the purposes of God will be accomplished. And these magi uh, follow the, the advice of the religious leaders. So, so Herod goes to the religious leaders and he says, listen, tell me, what's your Bible say? I, I, my computer's down. Uh, what does it say about the coming of the Messiah? So we have two groups. We have the high priests and the religious leaders, and they're two different groups. One group is the Pharisees, and you have the Sadducees because they're sad, you see. You know the song. They don't get along. They don't get along, and Herod loved to play enemies against one another. So what he did, he had a great idea. I'm going to call both of these groups together. They probably came at separate times because they couldn't be in the same room together. He's going to call them together and tell me what your Bible says about the coming of the Messiah. What's interesting is separately, both groups told them the same information. And they quote from Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are, no, are by no means the least among the rulers of, of Judah. Out of you will come a ruler. So we, they both, they quote from the, the Old Testament prophet Micah, prophet Micah in chapter 5, verse 2, and they say, he's going to come in Bethlehem. So Herod tells, sends the Magi to Bethlehem, and they find, find Jesus after they follow the star to it. And these outsiders, these Magi, they worship him. They honor him. They show up and they give gold, priceless uh, spices, and they, and they just give them to him. They would, have given, they would have given to such a degree that it hurt. They would have come to the king and said, this is the king, uh, we're going to give him a, a chunk of change. Why wasn't Herod there worshiping him? Why wasn't Herod there saying, you can sit in my seat, King Jesus? Why weren't the high priests and the, uh, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees there in, in the room with the Magi saying, Jesus, uh, you come to the temple, you run it. It's, I mean, it's your temple. Where were these people? Well, they were disturbed. The king had showed up unannounced and outside their expectations. But these outsiders had this great blessing of an unencumbered worship of Christ. They came, out, came in without all these preconceived notions of what ought to be and what should be. They just knew, the king is here. And I know how you act around the king. You honor him. 
So Jesus was honored by these outsider nobles who weren't encumbered by the preconceived notions of what worship should look like or what the Messiah should look like or what a political leader should look like. Herod and the priests were all wrapped up, and Herod says a king should look powerful and awesome. Herod would have said it this way, is my guess. King, you, you want me to respect you? Then you come kill me. If you can kill me, then I will respect you as a king. And, and the religious leaders and the priests would have wanted the king and the, and the religious leader to come in and firmly establish their sense of what religious worship looks like. But they should have been the ones leading the crowd to Jesus. Herod should have issued a proclamation on the spot. He's here. The religious leaders and the priests should have closed the temple down, told everybody, go to this house, see the king, worship him. You don't need us anymore. He's here. Just go see him. But they couldn't. These outsiders, out-of-place nobles, foreigners from another place, led there by crazy means of astrology, discovered the king because God saw fit to give them the desires of their heart, which was to see Jesus. The fact is, Herod and the religious leaders understand something that all of us understand. They felt that having power and control and having a sense of a control over both religion and my life is preferable to a Jesus who comes in with unexpected, uh, unexpectedly with, with expectations that are a mystery. And we like having predictable things happening, don't we? We like knowing what next week is going to hold. We like knowing... Uh, how to manage our affairs. We like a designing a system in our life where, okay, I relate to God and I'm going to come up with a, a, a means by which I relate to God that's manageable and controllable. And Jesus shows up and says, um, I'm not real manageable. I'm just going to take your whole life if you'll let me have it. He said, well, Jesus, I need some control of my situation here. He goes, yeah, I'm not going to so much let you do that. Because I want to be in control of the situation. So, I mean, there's just a question. It just pops in my head. That's dangerous, right? How is it going so far having total control over our situations? How's that working out for us? Yeah, Jesus said, I think I can handle it. If a two-year-old Jesus can handle Herod, I think maybe he can handle our business. Power in Rome, religion in Israel rejected him as king before he was a few years old. So the question is, who did he come for? I mean, I don't think Jesus or the Father were surprised that Herod and the religious leaders rejected him. You know, Jesus shows up and they reject him. I don't see God in heaven going, oh man, did not see that coming. I thought the church people would be totally in on this. Okay, plan B. Disciples. Who'd he come for? If they, he knew the religious leaders would reject him, he knew the, the political powers would reject him. Who did he come for? He was on mission for out of place people. He's an out of place king, honored by out of place nobles, and he's here for out of place people. Micah 5.2, Matthew quotes it, but then he monkeys with it a little bit. In Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse 6, he says this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Israel. 
Back in Micah chapter 5, he says, Bethlehem, you're the least in the rulers of Israel. You're the least. You're horrible. You're very, very tiny. And what, what Matthew has done is saying, since Messiah is born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem goes down from the least to the greatest. And then he combines that with, excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and he says, out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people. A shepherd is one who comes in for the needy and the helpless, and that makes us sheep. And, and Jesus come, comes as a king for out-of-place people who need a shepherd. Bethlehem becomes something important because Jesus is, is born there. According to the psalm we read earlier, what made David such a great king? He shepherded his people with skill. He knew what he was doing. He was leading his people to the place they needed to go, to have victory over their enemies and be led into relationship with God. The great thing about a shepherd, the greatest thing about Jesus as a shepherd is he is leading a people that he does not need. Jesus is leading a people, out-of-place people, he doesn't need us. Remember King Saul, when he became king, Samuel had promised them that he would levy taxes against the people and he would uh, conscript an army out of the people. Why, why did King Saul have to do all those things? He needed the people to follow him to be a decent king. He needed their money. He needed their young men to have an army. What does Herod need to be king? He needs to grip onto power at any cost. He needs to crush his opponents. He needs to hoard all the the gold and the silver in the region. He needs building projects that will honor the Caesar. He needs the people to continue to work for him and to continue to pay their taxes. He needs to continue to pay his soldiers so that they will defend him. He needs his people to be a king, doesn't he? What do the religious leaders need to be religious leaders? They need religious followers. They need people to show up and offer sacrifices and, and pay money into the temple fund and, and give their spices and, and give their bread and to give their sheep. What does Jesus need? He doesn't need any of those things. We see a parallel of this in Second Kings chapter, or I should say First Kings chapter 10. King Solomon, I don't know if you know this, but King Solomon was a rich guy, very rich guy. When they did their worship center renovation, they covered all the walls and ceiling with gold. I don't know what the capital campaign looked like for that. I think that would be a lot of money. The queen of Sheba, this queen from the northeastern part of Africa, visits King Solomon because she has heard of his vast wealth and wisdom. And as it turns out, when she comes to King Solomon and eats dinner with him in Caesar's court, he, she the Bible says her breath is knocked out of her, and she says, they described something to me about you, King Solomon. They did not describe half of it. The report I heard in my own country wasn't even close, she said. And she said this, how blessed must your men and your servants be just to simply have the opportunity to serve in your presence and to hear you speak and to hear you share. Did Solomon need all the Solomon did Solomon need his people? He was getting all of his money. He was importing all of his money from overseas. He had a, a fleet of ships 
that was bringing in gold and silver. He was bringing in so much cash that they said at the time, if you're walking down the road and found a chunk of silver, you wouldn't even pick it up. It wouldn't be be worth the effort. That's how much money was coming in. He was importing and, and enriching all of Israel. And it was a great stumbling block for him. But here's a king who can shepherd and lead his people, and he has everything. He doesn't need his people. And Solomon was just a faint image of that because he worked his people nearly to death. Jesus comes in. What does Jesus own? He owns everything. Jesus is a king who can lead his people without needing his people. Jesus can be born king with nobody following him and still be king of the universe. Jesus is able to lead people who have nothing because he doesn't need heavy hitters to fund his kingdom. In this way, he looked a lot like David in 1 Samuel chapter 22. I'm just going to read from it. David left Gath. He was running away from Saul. Saul was mad at him for being David. He went to a cave. His brothers and his father's household heard about it, and they went down to him. And listen, and then a bunch of people came and followed this king, David, this would-be king. Who followed him? Verse 2 of 1 Samuel 22. Listen, this is crazy. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. That was his group. I think he was probably having a bad day when he went to bed. God, really? Okay, God, really? You want me to establish a kingdom? You send everybody who's in debt. You send everybody who uh, is in distress. And then if they're neither of those things, they're discontented. Thank you for that. But David didn't reject him because he was a skilled shepherd. And his kingship wasn't based on the kinds of people who showed up to follow him. His kingship was based on the purposes of God. And this is Jesus. He came to lead those who were in debt, those who were distressed, and those who were discontented. Because he doesn't need fancy followers to be a great king. He is one without us. He's on mission for out-of-place people because he doesn't need the heavy hitters to be a great king. There's one more reference in the Old Testament we need to turn to. I'm sorry, we have a lot of Old Testament references I'm making reference to today, but it's not my fault. It's Matthew is making reference to all these, so it's helpful to look at them. I'm just going to look at Psalm 72 as a way of moving towards our conclusion here. Psalm 72, beginning in verse 10 is one of the last prayers of King David. In fact, verse 20 says, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. And this is what uh, the Bible says, talking about the reign of David and the reign of Solomon, as well as anticipating the kingship of Christ himself. The kings of Tarshish and of distant shores will bring tribute to him. The kings of Sheba and Seba will present him gifts All kings will bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. All the kings of the world will bring a David and Solomon imports and income, and they will have no need to 
uh, levy massive taxes, although they do, they would not need to. They have all the wealth coming in from, from outside, just like Christ has these uh, foreign kings coming to him, these foreign nobles coming to him. So he can lead a people who are destitute. Verse 12, he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy, and he'll save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. This king, this king that's anticipated through David and Solomon and finally in the Messiah is one who will lead the afflicted and the oppressed, the needy. This is not the kind of kingdom people sign up for normally. We want a wealthy king who will make, uh, bring in the wealthiest of people, who will increase the status and the stature. And Jesus comes in as an out-of-place king and says, where are your needy, where are your oppressed, where are your discontented, where are your indebted? Those are my people. I am into those kind of people. Jesus leads the broken because he doesn't require whole people to establish his kingdom because he is a king who is already whole. He can handle broken people because he has everything he could possibly need in himself. Verse 17 of Psalm 72. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the suns. All the nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. All the nations will be blessed through him. Where have we heard that before? Genesis 12. Abrahamic covenant. God says to Abraham, the entire world will be blessed through your offspring. And it's one of the first, one of the first occasions where God says, I'm going to save the world through you, Abraham. And now Jesus is coming as the one who is going to bless the world through him. All nations will be blessed through him. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the covenants in the Old Testament. So we have to think about this when it comes to Advent, the arrival of Christ. We need to understand the history of Advent, the history of the shepherds and the angels and the history of the Magi coming and, and bringing him gifts and the rejection early on of Jesus by both uh, Herod and the religious leaders. The history of Advent, the importance of the, the, the history that is told in the Bible is not merely Jesus showed up. I mean, that's a, that's a primary understanding of the story, right? Jesus came. But we have to understand that it's not just that he showed up, it's the manner in which he arrived that is so critically important to the scriptures. Because the manner in which he arrived says, I came for the needy. I came for the oppressed. I came for the broken and the afflicted and the discontented. And the... I came for those who need, not those who have. And I'm going to lead you to God himself. The manner of the arrival of Christ was not merely so he could get his feet on planet earth so he could get to the cross. The manner of his arrival at Advent was to tell us the kinds of people he wanted to go to the cross for. None of these words were wasted. They're not just interesting stories to tell us something about a Christmas so our calendars can have a little three wise men on it. It's to tell us he comes for out-of-place people. He comes for the people who show up at parties don't know where they fit in. When he shows up at parties, he looks for people hiding in the corner and says, I'm here for you. 
I'm for the not fitting in people, the outsiders, the oppressed. Jesus was an out-of-place king, honored by out-of-place nobles, on a mission for out-of-place people. A couple of things in closing I want to point out and have you think about. First of all, he's an out-of-place king. One of the things this is critically important for us to understand, his kingship does not require our acknowledgement. His kingship, his reign over the universe is not hanging by the thread of us having faith in him. Faith does not establish that which is true and real. Faith simply trusts that which is already true and real with faith not ever having been there. Jesus is king. Jesus is ruling over the universe. The question is not whether or not his kingship will last and endure. That goes without saying. Jesus' throne has no chance of failing any more than Herod had a chance of killing him as a baby. His kingship does not require our acknowledgement that he is Lord. That should change a little bit of our attitude as we approach him. It's not so much, God, (laughs) you're welcome. I believed in you. Not Not like my coworkers. I mean, they don't get it like I get it. When I I celebrate Christmas, I have a reason for the season pin. Don't take them off. They're fine. But we have to understand his kingship does not require it. His kingship doesn't require it. His kingship is firmly established. He is king. He is creator of all that there is. We, in all humility, should come to him in praise and glory that we can thankfully be with him and he desires us to be with him but we shouldn't think that somehow that our notion of fidelity to him and his gospel is buttressing up his kingdom his kingdom's fine the question is will we join him in it number two the out of place nobles I want you to think about this a little bit when it comes to your own religious background one of the blessings that these um, Babylonian or Persian nobles had is they were not uh, uh, saddled with or yoked with preconceived notions of what worship of Jesus should look like. They were blessed with worship unencumbered by a religious background, so to speak. They could just show up and say, well, we're kings. He's a king. What do you do when you honor a king? Give him a bunch of stuff that's worth a lot of money. I mean, they they were unencumbered with this need to say, well, I mean, do we say the blessing before or after the gift giving? Do, is, there a, is there a song? Is there an appropriate song that should be played? I, I, should a guy come in with a ball that's got smoke coming out of it? I don't. I still don't know what that thing is. They were blessed with worship unencumbered by religion. They were blessed with worship unencumbered by a need for power and control. One of the great things we can do as believers is come to Christ, come to God routinely in repentance, saying, I'm sorry that I think I know all about how I'm supposed to come to you. What does Jesus tell us? Come to me as a what? As a theologian, right? Come to me as a pastor would, all dignified in something. We're not that dignified, by the way. Come to me as a child. Come to me as a child. I've got a little son at night. He likes to drink milk. 
makes him go to sleep. I like to give him milk because it makes him go to sleep. When he shows up in the kitchen after I put him to bed seven times, oh great father, hallowed be thy name, may I upon your graciousness reflect upon your generosity and perhaps perchance you might bestow upon me a sippy cup of milk. Does he do that? What do you think? That would be funny. I would want to, like, I got to get this on YouTube. If he's going to do this. No, this is his prayer to dad for milk. That's all prayer is, conversation. He, he stays in his bed, by the way. He doesn't, doesn't get up. He stays in his bed. Dad, milk. <laughs> and you know what? You know what's funny about this? Is when I fill that sippy cup of milk and I give it to him, and he gets that little grin on his face because we have a thing. We got a little dance we do. Daddy milk, and the milk shows up, and he gets a little grin on his face. You know, that's just awesome, isn't it? I mean, it's not when he says throw it across the room, but he's, he's got a sin nature just like anybody else. But how come, how, come, how come in our head somehow this is not how our relationship with God is as a child? God, I need. You think God's surprised that we have needs? We just got done explaining. Those are the kind of people he's into. God, I'm broken. I'm afflicted here. I need you to show up and get some business handled, God. I mean, is he, well, you sure weren't very polite in your tone, young man. I mean, he's just filled with joy as he gets to encounter us in the tension of our afflictedness and our oppression. One of the blessings we can experience as Christians is to repent of our religiosity and just come to God unencumbered and say, God, what's up? Out-of-place king, out-of-place nobles, and finally, out-of-place people. If you showed up today needy, afflicted, and oppressed, good news, Jesus showed up for you. In particular, you're the kind of person he's into. If you showed up here today, and by God's grace, you were not needy, you were not afflicted, you were not oppressed, praise the Lord, he came to show you, you actually are, you just don't know it yet. God will do whatever he needs to do to get you to that place where you say, I am, and I need you, God. You don't need me as much as I need you. He's an out-of-place king, honored by out-of-place nobles, and came for out-of-place people just like us.